On the Way Home is proudly supported by Ellis Dong Community Builders, a group formed within the Ellis Dong group of companies to assist those who wish to deliver affordable and sustainable housing by providing development management services and leveraging Ellis Dong's turnkey cradle-to-grave project capabilities. We incorporate all that a world-leading development, construction, and building services company has to offer to provide innovative and sustainable developments that connect and energize communities. Our offering is not simply a development and construction solution. It's a holistic and comprehensive approach that ensures the delivery of assets that communities can be proud of. To learn more, please visit www.communitybuilders.ellisdon.com. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite. Now, you might be saying, wait a second, weren't there two hosts of this show? And there absolutely are. My good friend and co-host, Stefania, is just taking a little bit of time, so she'll be back to join us shortly. But in the meantime, we will continue to bring you amazing guests, as always, because there's so much amazing and great work happening across this great country. Uh, speaking of great work, I encourage you to go to the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness website, caeh.ca. Listen, if you're interested in what they're doing with Built for Zero, if you need some uh, help with some training, they have a training department as well. And check out what they're up to. There's all sorts of webinars. Uh, there's one, you'll already have heard this, but on February 18th, they're doing a webinar. Um, so lots of helpful things. Just check out their work that they're doing. They are a proud partner in this podcast. And of course, over at Blue Door, big things are happening as well. As we speak, we are getting ready for our coldest night of the year event uh, that is taking place on February 26th. So that's exciting too. Raising money. We're one of many organizations across the country doing this walk, raising money to support our most vulnerable. And our guest for today, I'm really excited. I've been a long time admirer. I've seen him uh, in action and, and all the great things he's doing and most recently in his current role. Uh, today, we are joined by Stéphane uh, Corriveau. Uh, Stéphane is the first executive director of the Center uh, for Community House, oh, sorry, executive director of the Community Housing Transformation Center. He is the first director of that. Um, Stéphane has a postgraduate studies in both law and political science. And prior to coming to the Center, he was president of the Canadian Housing and Renewal Association. That's where I remember him from, and executive director of the Quebec Nonprofit Housing Network. He is director of North America of the Housing International Coalition. He is also a member of CHRA's Urban, Rural, and Northern Indigenous Working Group, which has done some incredible work. Check it out for sure. Uh, over the last 30 years, he's gathered experiences all over the world as an advisor for local, regional, and national nonprofits. He's been involved in the policymaking process at all levels of government and has actively contributed to the development of thousands of new housing units, played key roles in restructuring 
strategies for big and small nonprofit organizations facing significant challenges. So just incredible work. And listen, we've heard on the show before where people have said our housing crisis is the result of bad policy. He's making sure there's better and great policy out there. Stefan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Michael. I just to, to make something clear, I'm, I'm not I'm not anymore member, or no, nor have I ever been director of the Indigenous Caucus. I've been a member of it, but so just to make sure people don't put too much pressure on me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you today. Awesome. Yeah, well, you're, you're making an impact regardless of the role. You're doing great work. We always start the podcast with a very simple question, but it's a little different to everyone. Uh, I love this question. Stefan, what does home mean to you? Well, of course, home is, is several things for me. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a building. It's a place where you, you, you live. But more importantly, although that without the building, everything else falling apart, more or less, uh, is that uh, it's a place where you you feel secure, where you, you have trust, and where you can relax and say, no, I'm not threatened by anything and anywhere there. But even further than that, being Having a house or a home, actually more than a house, a home is the place from which you're based to get into the community and be part of the community. I have a sense of belonging. And this is what's the difference between a house, actually, and a home. The home is your, I mean, I think there's an expression in English that says, uh, my home, my castle. So it's, it's truly that. It's, it's from where you spring forward and, and involve yourself and be part of a community. Um, and that's the key element, I think. Awesome. Very well said. And like I said, we love an, uh, asking that question because we get uh, many, many different answers with some similar threads throughout. Now, as we can tell from your bio, you've been at this work a long time. And thank you for not uh, for, for persevering and pushing through. Uh, you've been doing it for a while. You've had a, and so you've had a front row seat as the housing crisis we find ourselves in uh, has developed. Why do you think we progressed into a full-blown housing crisis? Well, there's several considerations, um, but let's say it's a combination of the, the main element of them or the fact that um, through the last 40 years, 40, 50 years in Canada, um, we've been focusing essentially on um, private uh, ownership of houses. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of policy and a huge amount of resources that have been committed in that sense. So when you say, you know, when people often say, oh, no community housing and uh, shelter and um, all kind of public housing, that's very expensive and we can't afford to have that. Well, I, I just ask these people sometime to read Canada's um, budget once a year and CMHC's annual budget um, and, and annual report. So just to give an idea, we are committing today as we're speaking one trillion dollars so that's a significant amount of money so one thousand times one billion dollars so we're not talking pocket money here <laughs> that is being committed by cmhc and i'm not saying it's wrong i'm just saying that to give a measure of things there's a one trillion dollar that is committed by cmhc to support the private market ownership uh, through their insurance program, through their uh, bond issuing program, through all kind of mechanism that I'm not going to dwell into the, the detail of how they work, but uh, I could if you're interested. <laughs> uh, but the, the point is that it's not true that the private market works on its own. There is significant policy and commitment 
financial commitment by the state, uh, would it be municipal, provincial or, or federal government to support that trend. Now, when we look at the other option of non-market, non-profitable, well, there's a bit less, let's say, to be to use uh, euphemism uh, in terms of commitment. Now, there's also other things. So th that's kind of a policy aspect of thing. The other thing is that there's been in the last 40 years, um, a growing process where homes are being looked at house rather than being homes. So what does it mean? It means that we've been through two processes that are kind of um, sibling, but they're not the same exactly. There's something that is called the commodification of housing. And the other one is the financialization of housing. Now, these two processes, what they, they make is that they turn housing into from something that used to be uh, no, the place that is your home and you're safe and you, you live out of it. And, and most Canadians, when they, they bought their home or when they rent a home uh, uh, with the idea of being in their apartment or their house for a long time, they, they, see, they used to see that as a shelter for themselves and their, their, their family in, in every meaning of the word shelter. Now, when you go through commodification, it makes people thinking of their house as a good they sell, they buy today, and they're going to sell it tomorrow, and they expect to make a profit out of it. So it, you, you don't look at it the same way. You don't maintain it the same way. You don't see your participation in the community the same way when you move from being a home to being a house. And and that's there, there's there's been a psychological shift, but that that shift goes with social transformation. Actually, it goes with a, a way where we then we get into financialization because if it's if it's a it's a good that is commodified, then you look at it through financial eyes and we we face situation that were un, even unimaginable uh, a couple of decades away uh, when uh, we have a, a large number of REITs, for example, real estate and investment trust uh, that now in Canada own tens of thousands of units. I mean, some of them are reaching over 100, some 120,000 units. So this makes a real difference because, well, those are the, we call them the, the flagship of the, of the phenomena, but they are also, it, it, there's a dripping down effect where those um, smaller investors say, well, it's not good only for the big player, I can do it. And, and you have a concentration of ownership that is creating a dramatic shift in the way the market is being manage and how it evolved and that lead to the crisis that we're we're having now um, and and the, the the big difference between commodification is that and financialization just to make it clear is that yes you, on one hand you see this as a as a as a tool or, or as a as a good that you want to sell or buy but the financialization bring on the table not only uh, local investor currently most of the REIT that are uh, active in canada are also active elsewhere and for them Buying a buying a building in in Pitawawa or in Saint John Newfoundland or in Montreal is the same as buying something in Dubrovnik. So I have nothing against the people in Dubrovnik, but I'm also sure that they feel the the, the bad impact of these people going around and, and buying and selling you know, in Hong Kong, in Montreal, in Vancouver, in New York, in Los Angeles, in Mexico. So they're all over the place. And for them, it's really only a house. It's not a home for anybody, neither for themselves or the people they, they, who, who live in their these buildings. And that's a major change. Wow. Yeah, you know, that's so well said. And thank you for taking the time to break that down. We heard, you know, 
run the policy, uh, you know, housing is a commodity. And I like the differentiation there and housing, uh, the financialization of housing. We've, we've talked about this on the show before, uh, the grand scale of that. So we've got this big crisis uh, recently, just even in Ontario, uh, the housing uh, task force that the, the province put together said, hey, the, the answer to this is largely more supply, getting barriers out of the way to, to, for more supply, and to which many said, you know, that's that's great. And, and the building industry said, of course, thank you. But many said, hey, supply's not really the, uh, that's not the only thing happening here, and that's not the answer. Um, you know, I'm pretty optimistic we can fix this. Obviously, I'm, I'm in this sector. I think we can do more. What do you think needs to happen uh, to work our way out of this crisis? Well, I, I think many things need to happen, but one of the consequences of the, the phenomenon I, I've explained before is that the, the ratio of nonprofit community housing, public housing, call it how you, whatever you want, but that, that part of the housing sector that is managed to answer the need and the right of people to have a house versus the, the main market, we'll call it, um, that, that balance is, is dangerously shifting in the wrong direction for, for several decades now. Uh, you know, we were almost at 10% of the housing market in 1996, and now we're ab about 3%. Um, and it keeps going that way. So it, basically, my, my simple answer is that, you no. Know, if you're tired of going downward, stop digging deeper. Um, that would be a first step to, <laughs> to, to take. And, and, and then let's see how we can go higher. So how, how do we do stop getting lower well th there is um, a number of um, units or house or homes across the country that are still in the private market but relatively affordable uh, they're, they're not the higher cost at least so we should have a very large and significant process allowing to transfer those units from the private for-profit market into the, the non-profit market um, on one hand. On the second hand, we could have a number of uh, policies uh, that would actually be inspired by what we do in other sectors. So we're not talking about reinventing the wheel. Um, for example, there's many aspects of your and my life that are being affected by fiscal rule. You know, the, the more money you go, the, you get in as income, the higher you pay taxes uh, and, and um, uh, yeah, tax. To, to, to government. Now, a corporation that owns, you could have very well something that says, no, yes, you own a house and we already have that. If it's your own house, your, uh, your exemption, um, tax exemption for capital gain is 100%. And then there's some taxation if you own a second or third or fourth house, but it's just a, a, a two-step process. There's no reason why there's not a third or fourth or fifth or sixth steps, because if if you're dealing people that are, you know, let's say, the, uh, middle class uh, uh, family that owns uh, a duplex and they live in the ba in the duplex and they have one neighbor and it's this is something, and but it's something different to be a REIT and to <laughs> to have hundred thousand units. So <laughs> it, where's the logic in dealing with these people in the same way? Like there's no difference. No, there's a huge difference, <laughs> and therefore the, the tax system should act accordingly. They should be over uh, no paying more because they, they, they basically see the, the thing as a, as a different way and they deal it differently. So that would be a first thing to do. Uh, a sec and, and that costs nothing, literally, that would actually bring more money to uh, the government coffers. So it's, it's not something that should be too expensive for us as a collectivity. Now, the, the second thing that could be done, and I think that would be um, 
a bit of a bolder step, but it would be uh, quite um, quite empowering for empowering for the sector. Is uh, up to now, when one is signing an agreement with CMHC or uh, any provincial government or municipal authority that is supply, supporting a non-for-profit to buy a house, or to, at the end of the day, um, that contract has a beginning and a hand, and at the end of it, the non-profit or the um, whatever the, the co-op uh, that that's owning it has to fend by itself according to the contract to keep to protect that asset and to keep providing services to people that are um, in, in more vulnerable situation now that's basically a receipt for failure because well, first let's make a very easy comparison i mean who expect healthcare to stop being supported uh, no, pe people are, are sick at different points of their life, but everybody is sick at one point. And, and we don't say, well, you cure everyone last year, therefore you don't need money to the, this year. No, it's not, it's not how it works. So housing is also something that needs to be looked at the long term. And to protect that, one of the ways to protect the, the, the capital investment we do at first is to make sure that at least the land upon which a building is being created cannot be seed to anything but to another non-for-profit organization. So we, we are creating a market of non-profit assets, while today we are dealing with assets that have to compete with the for-profit one. And the for-profit one are having a unlimited access to capital, basically, because, well, everyone is, uh, not everyone, but I mean, everyone that has money is willing to invest into something that will bring back money. But then who's, in, who's interesting in investing for something that will have no return? Because by definition, being a not-for-profit means you have no financial return. You might have, you know, your heart is better, your brain is better, your collectivity is nicer, <laughs> but you don't get money in return. So how can we expect not-for-profit to compete with for-profit? And if on top of that difference, you, have, you ask those not-for-profit to serve only the lower tier of the market in terms of income. So you, you, you're taking them away from all the, um, the potential benefit because we don't sell, we don't monetize our equity, we, we, we don't charge IS rent, but we are expected to deliver at the same rate than the for-profit one. Of course, it's not possible. I mean, this one has to remove its uh, uh, pink uh, glasses and, 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 and say, no, this is not how the world runs. I mean, this is not unicorn land. This is the real land, and we have to deal accordingly. So uh, those are the kind of things that could be um, looked at. Uh, and, and, and for example, the, the Canadian government uh, and other government, but if we're talking coast-to-coast-to-coast -to -coast -to -coast program, should have as a policy that any building, any piece of land uh, that is currently belong to the federal government should only be seed, even if it's with money, to a non-for-profit. Uh, that way, we would help the development and the sustainability of the sector, provide a, a fair price to those buildings and keep them. I mean, these buildings have been bought with Keynesian people money. Yeah. So we keep that as a collective investment and we leverage those investments to bettering the, the, the people's situation. So all, all of those kind of things are, are possible. Uh, they, they're being done in other uh, Either, either other jurisdiction or in other period of time and, and so on. So it's all things that are possible and are not that costly. But what they imply is a different 
meaning to the market and how, how do you look at housing? Do you deal with it through the lens of human rights or you look to the end through the lens of profitability? And then that's, that's a challenge basically at the end of the day. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, I see Canadians as a whole are just kind of obsessed with with housing ownership. And because, yeah, I mean, it's messy. And, you know, I have to tell you, so to your point, I think we're, we're losing more and more affordable housing to the private sector because of you know, the, the financial gain to them. And just recently in our area, there was a, a nineplex that came up. Uh, it was up for sale. And I was talking to a realtor about it. He said, and he told me the rents. And the rents were fantastic, like affordable rents. But what he said, what's going to happen is they're going to get bought out. Someone's going to turn around and triple, double or triple those rents for sure. So nine units out of, so that's nine more. And in the area I'm in, in York Region, there's not a lot of, purpose-built affordable rental or just even rental. So to see nine units disappear is a big deal, right? You know, we need mechanisms in place. So groups like Blue Door or others could step in, get first crack at that to purchase it and keep it as affordable rental stock. Uh, things like land trust, that type of thing, right? Have to come around too. So let, let's switch gears a little bit because uh, I mean, that is fascinating. We could talk about that for hours. Um, well, let's let's talk about the Community Housing Transformation Center. It's fairly new, fairly new, not brand new, but fairly new. Uh, how and why was it formed and what's its purpose? Well, basically, the center I've been taught of by the sector, by the nonprofit. Uh, and when I'm using the expression nonprofit, I mean everything that is not for profit. So it includes the co-op, it includes the public housing, it includes all, all, all those, um, those elements. Um, and, and basically, um, the idea was that you no, know, since the mid '90s, uh, there's been a, only a trickle of resources being allocated to uh, the not-for-profit sector to grow and to establish themselves, and, and and not only to grow but to preserve uh, its uh, its capacity. And the reality is that it wasn't it wasn't even enough to preserve the capacity. We sadly we've lost thousands of units during that period of 25 years. So. Um, and one of the things we've lost is not only units, but it's capacity and knowledge. Uh, no, most of the building stock that is part of the community housing sector has been built in the 80s or early 90s. Some are from the late 60s, but the bulk is 80s and early 90s. So what we have lost is the capacity, the knowledge. How do you develop a project? How do you actually maintain your your, your your, your asset, not in a way of having it maintained by emergency, from emergency to emergency to emergency, but actually see it as something that needs a bit of planning and is being managed with enough breathing space that you, you can actually really maintain it and you, you have some resilience when, when you hit a wall because something's happening for some reason or another, you, you have the capacity to react to that. You're not always 
know, looking for air and, <laughs> and unable to, to, to manage otherwise than just running from crisis to crisis. So basically what the, the, those big uh, associations such as CHRA or the Quebec Network Association and uh, the Quebec Network of Not-for-Profit or the Canadian Housing Cooperative uh, Federation and, and so on came together and part of the pressure to, to create the national housing strategy, uh, one of the uh, demands that were put forward was the creation of such a center to help organization to catch back and, and, and receive, uh, rebuild their own capacity to, to go forward. So that's that's the general context. And then when the national housing strategy was unveiled, um, I was thrilled to read a, a line and a half, lower left column of the 14 page, if I well remember, <laughs> that was talking about the creation of a technical resource center. <laughs> Nobody but a handle of people across the country understood what that line was about. And of course, it wasn't the big news because the big news was you no know, billions of dollars and all of that. So I'm not, uh, I'm not angry about that. But it was there. There was a line there. And uh, so it was an answer by the federal government to the request that we had been put, put putting forward. Then there was some administrative process in terms of getting it on rolling out. And uh, eventually CMHC, um, launch a public, a public appeal for a um, proposal to fulfill that task, um, which actually on one made us a little bit surprised and nervous uh, because it was open to everyone and everything with different meanings. But, um, and, and then a, large, a fairly large number of for-profit private organizations uh, specialized in um, asset management and, um, and um, I don't know how you say it in English, bookkeeping company, I mean, KPMGs of this world, um, uh, where um, did bid, but we also create quickly, and literally when I'm saying quickly, it's very quick. We had six weeks from the announcement of the of the tender to the moment we had to supply the, the proposition, the proposal. Uh, we create quickly a corporate, a not-for-profit corporation that the members were the major actor that were actually pushing for the creation of that thing sit around and say, well, we, we can't let it go. We, we, we need to have the, the resource and the capacity to develop our own capacity, not only the local organizations. So we create an, uh, that organization, bid in the proposal and, and got it. So we are fairly happy about the end result. <laughs> and now we are rolling out. I mean, we've, we've, we've been in operation publicly since mid-December 2019, um, and we had start the, the we, we finalized the signing of the agreement with CMHC only a couple of months before that in in um, in March 19 uh, 2019 I mean uh, so it's um, th this is how it start and uh, we've been uh, building on the capacity one of the big difference between us and what would have been de delivered by a private sector organization is that we've been building on the existing capacity and instead of just looking at, oh, we have a certain amount of money, a certain number of services to provide, and let's manage that money. Uh, and when the task is done, the task is done, and we just present our invoice to CMHC. We've been using that as a, as a way to leverage those resources into partnerships. So we're working with several municipal government, provincial government, uh, and, and other uh, funding uh, 
agencies and, and other organizations to, for example, convene several people that we think could work together and help each other and help the whole sector. So we play that proactive role that is way different than just throwing away money, which also has its value, of course, but it's not just sending money to people who have good idea. We have a, a, a vision and understanding of the sector that helps uh, act as a catalyst to new idea, the implementation of idea that are there, and even as a propositional uh, structure that help the sector think about what could we do that we're not doing now, but that would change the game and we could develop something to the benefit of everyone, not to the benefit of only the one that would present a funding proposal. So, uh, and uh, other services that we're providing also is things like uh, we have, um, and we're launching the new iteration in a couple of weeks, uh, something that we call the ACT, the self-assessment um, test, where a, a not-for-profit usually it was think for, for, for a fairly small to medium sized not for profit could go and through that test that is online, make an evaluation of what's the strength and the weakness of their or challenges of their organization. And mm -hmm. that links into um, an action plan. So the machine is actually saying, okay, according to what you your test result is, you need a bit more support in governance or you need to improve your capacity into asset management or you need to improve uh, tenant involvement in the management of the building or you need whatever it's being uh, diagnosed by, by the test and the, the the there's an action plan there's a draft of an action plan that is being provided to you and then of course you can you don't have to obey it you can edit it change it but so it brings the capacity to smaller organization to have a, a, a kind of a more comprehensive understanding of, of the group they're managing and the result they expect for and, and so on. So those are the kind of thing that we're, we're providing support for. So yeah, that's the center in, in, in many words. <laughs> it's amazing it is what you're speaking to as one of the organizations uh, out there doing some of that work. I think we're, you know, we'll be the ones that uh, will look to do that task is that giving us that roadmap on some areas to strengthen uh, moving forward in the work. Uh, and you, so you've touched on it a little bit, but what role does the center play uh, supporting the housing sector and growing affordable housing across Canada? Uh, there, there's lots of people doing lots of things, uh, but what is your role specifically? Well, um, well, first, what makes a big difference between us and most of the people who have good idea is that we have money. That's a big difference. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it does. Yeah. <laughs> so and and uh, and we we come with a responsibility is to say yes, the center itself can have idea and push for it and so on. But our role is also to support the others who do it. So we we can't be uh, have an egoistic approach to what we're doing. It needs to be built in and and and, and um, wave wave into the the fabric of the community housing sector. So. We, um, with the help of peers, so it's also important to understand that we don't allow money just on the whims of you know, me or some uh, process. I mean, we, we love to say that we are um, trying to do two things at the center in, in, ma in, ma in matter of allocating money. Um, the first one is we don't allocate the money. The sector is allocating it in the sense that every proposal that is coming to us is being then evaluated by peers that for every project, there's a group of people that have the matching skills to the you know, knowledge of the region where it's happening, knowledge of the thematic of what's happening and, and so on, that make an evaluation of your project. And these people are not 
paid people by the center. They are people active in the field. So they take the decision. Um, the second one is actually the second one is we aim for 100% success. What does it mean? Um, it's not that everybody can throw a proposal to us and be guaranteed to get money, but what it means that we have a, a, a funding process that starts from first line. If everything you're going to read on our website or if you intervene with us is call us. It's not that the forms are not available there, but call us because it's the good way to write a good proposal for us is to understand what exactly you want to do and if it matched with the capacity we have and it matched with our own priority and own mission. So don't waste any time writing a proposal that's not going to be good and don't waste our time reading a proposal that's not going to be useful. So let's make sure that the people that are sitting together are the one that needs to be sitting together and work together. So 100% success rate in, in, in terms of application. And then finally, the third element that I think make us different from other funders is that we are not a black box. What do I mean by that is for all my life until three years ago, um, I've been a bigger, a professional bigger, uh, presenting proposal to all kinds of funders and so on. And the way it works is that, you know, you read the guidelines, you read the, the, the form, you, you have your idea of what's good to be done, and then you try to squeeze your idea into the form, and, and then you, you put a stamp on it and you slide it into that black box that you don't know what's happening in the black box. And it's just, sometimes there's some steam coming out of the box and then you, you get nervous and sometimes there's some weird noise, but that's all. And then eventually, after a couple of weeks, couple of months, couple of years, who knows, it's always different, there's a result, yes or no. <laughs> no, I, I, it was very bad for my stress level, and I'm quite sure it's bad for many other organizations and other individuals. So we make sure that we have a transparent process that every stage where there's a dealing on the, on the proposal, there's an interaction with the, the proponent. And that, I think, also makes a big difference of us in terms of how we interact into doing money allocation. Absolutely. I love that process. And I think one of the big, we talk about, you know, there's, there's lots of opportunities out there, but the processes for some of them and that, and I know CMHC knows this, sometimes the processes for applying uh, for smaller organizations too, they just can't do it. They just don't have the capacity. Yeah. Um, so that sounds, that sounds amazing. Now, uh, you want to know in a few years, or maybe not even that far ahead, you want to know, hey, we had impact. How will you know? if you have uh, made an impact, what are your hopes for the center? Well, we have impact, we have hopes that are of two different level uh, or three different level. There, there's one that is basically quite, I would say boring, is the one that you know, we've done everything that is in the contract with CMHC and now we're going. So yeah, yes, we allocate that much money and yes, we've support that much project and, and we can say that X thousands of, X hundreds of thousands of units have benefited from it and, and that's okay. And I think we're quite on, on the proper path for that. Um, where it's more interesting is how qualitatively we've changed the mindset of the sector. Because basically for the last 20, 30 years, the sector has been in a very defensive position. You know, if I can protect my organization and protect the units I have for one more day, I can go tonight out of the office and pat myself on the back and say, good job. You know, <laughs> I've, I've, I've made it through today. Now we have to change that uh, attitude. We need to turn the sector, of course, we don't want to, uh, to turn the sector into a more entrepreneurial attitude. They say that, no, 
realize the value we have and the value we we are uh, as an organization and and build upon that not only to survive but to thrive and, and not be only in a, a tensest attitude towards the authority that you no know, give us more money or do that. Of course, they need to give more money. Don't take me wrong, but but not being in the not not being in the waiting seat, being in the driver's seat, and, and that makes the whole difference. And if that's happening, then you'll see the real result, which will be change that balance instead of being less and less part of the of the ratio of the housing uh, portfolio. We'll will catch back. And that's where the real result will be. And if you see that, then you no know, homeless crisis, affordable car crisis, and so on will uh, tone down and eventually will 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 be extinct. But that that's the, the end goal is certainly that one. But you need the two first one to reach the third one. <laughs> Absolutely. And that is a bit of, I would guess, that'd be a little bit of a longer term goal. So you've got Lots of so we're lots of good things happening. This is uh, important stuff, uh, and I thank you so much for joining us and talking about it. Where can people go to find out more about the community, the Community Housing Transformation Center, where they can apply, how to apply, how it works, and all that kind of stuff? It's very simple. Our website is center, in, written in Canadian way, c n t h c n t r e dot support. That's it. Perfect. You type center dot support, and you'll get there and we, we got staff in every region of the country uh, so don't don't get bothered by time difference or whatever <laughs> you pick the phone and someone if someone in your region will either answer you right on the spot but or otherwise anyway someone from your region will answer to you at one point or another and uh, there will be resources uh, and our people are more than happy to um, welcome to get uh, inquiry and to present them the different resources we uh, made available for them and to uh, elaborate for potential partnership. I mean, that's really something else that will that I've I've skipped in my previous answer is that one of the things that uh, the center does is uh, is I said leveraging, but there's some of those leverage that are uh, we're very proud of. So, for example, we now work with indigenous organization in terms of housing to basically provide them with means that they can leverage their own action and uh, allowing the sector that is the, the non-indigenous part of the community housing sector to learn lessons and to share capacities. And, and, and that's one of the achievements that, uh, you know, it's far from being complete and there's tons of work to do, but it's, it's something that we are on, on the path of and it's happening and, and we're proud and happy uh, to share that with, with the public and, and within ourselves and, and with the partner that are there. So that, that's the kind of thing when we're talking about leveraging, there's resources out there. But you know, if you work in silo, you do that much. If you can work collectively, it's, it's a win-win-win situation for everyone. Absolutely. And it's funny when you talk about, you know, it's not just money, it's around the supports and leveraging and doing uh, it's much the same when we house someone. It's not, yes, income and, and supports like financial supports play a big role, but it's also those wraparound supports of how to keep them housed and do that much the same that you're doing for organizations. It's not just about giving cash, but it's about introductions 
It's about, hey, so-and-so has done this already before. They can help you get through this in the future. Learn from them. Don't start from scratch, right? And, and you have some supports there. So amazing stuff. I encourage people. To, is, are, are there deadlines? Is it an open thing where you can apply? Or? It's an open thing. That I mean, we, we have as a policy, going with a 100% success rate, there, there's an open-door policy. So it's you, you come in. And the less we, we've tried to develop a, a system that is as, as low barrier as possible. So there's no deadline, there's no uh, limit of amount of money, there's no, no minimum demands, there's no stuff like that. It's easy. And if you have any problem filling the form, understanding what's happening, not only you, have, you, you should be phoning before yeah. starting filling the form, but as you are filling the form, you pick the phone and you speak with the, the person that will be your partner in, in developing that proposal. So it's, I think it's a fairly good support process we have. You know, it, it's so simple, but you know, that doesn't happen often. I love that. Like first pick up the phone, let's talk about your idea. Let's, let's put it into a form that's gonna save everyone time and you're gonna put it and you're gonna be successful because we've worked on this together, right? Going forward and during, you could call us and work on it, continue to do that. Uh, it, it's just so uh, smart, so efficient, um, amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for the work that you and your team are doing to help us uh, slowly work out of this crisis. We can do it, uh, but it, it's groups like the you know, Community uh, Housing Transformation Center that are allowing us to do that. Thank you so much, Stefan. Well, I thank, very, I thank you very much, Michael, and I thank Blue Doors for organizing that, um, that series of podcasts that are very interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you. There, there you have it. I mean, I, I'm, of course, as always, I'm fascinated um, by this. Um, I, you know, I see what's happening in the sector and I see the supports we need. Uh, it's interesting. It seems that um, even before people come on the show, uh, I'm, you know, I, I know of the work and, and we're looking at this. And in York region, where I am right now, uh, we're, we know that uh, there's such a lack of uh, rental housing, affordable housing, uh, we're not going to work this out through the private sector. We're going to take this on ourselves, our, ourselves and others. Uh, we're doing a, a land trust. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to be leaning. We're going to be looking to the Community House Transformation Center, reaching out, doing that, because we have some ideas on how we could use their support for sure to, to move forward. Another great guest. Uh, check out the website for sure and share it with others. Uh, stay tuned. As always, we will bring you uh, someone great again the next time on the way home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.